All right, so welcome again, everybody. Uh, tonight, uh, we begin the fifth book of the Bible, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, uh, and this is um, the book called Deuteronomy. Um, we have been um, several years now um, working our way through the Pentateuch, so we did 45 sessions in Genesis, 45 sessions in Exodus, uh, I believe it was 19 sessions in Leviticus and 11 sessions in Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, in Numbers. And so uh, we're 130 uh, hours or so into the Pentateuch here as we set off into Deuteronomy. So tonight is going to be uh, basically an introduction to Deuteronomy, kind of a bit of an overview before we dive into the details, Lord willing, a week from tonight. So let's uh, dive into the introduction here. So um, Deuteronomy uh, takes place uh, over about a span of a month, right? And so uh, as we were moving through Exodus, Exodus takes place over 80 years. Uh, Leviticus takes place over about a month. Numbers takes place over about 40 years. And here we are in Deuteronomy just one month. And so just give you a sense of the time frames for uh, the books of the Pentateuch. And of course, Genesis, uh, there are thousands of years uh, in Genesis. Uh, but so Deuteronomy takes place over the course of about a month. Uh, you can do the math uh, for yourself when you compare uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3, Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, and then there's uh, 30 days of mourning there in the middle in Deuteronomy 34, verse 8, and those 30 days of mourning are, of course, for Moses, the great mediator of the nation Israel. So why is the book of Deuteronomy here in the Bible? Um, because what we will see as we go through Deuteronomy is that uh, we will reprice a lot of uh, things that we've already seen, especially uh, the laws given to the nation Israel. And so some of it will be repetitive, uh, especially for those of you who uh, either went through uh, Exodus and Leviticus uh, with us uh, or are extremely familiar with the books of the law. So why Deuteronomy? Um, the reason Deuteronomy is in the scriptures is because Moses is now speaking to this new generation of Israelites that need to be initiated uh, into the Sinai covenant. So if you remember as we were going through uh, the book of Numbers, um, the turning point as we said multiple times in the book of Numbers uh, has uh, takes place in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. And if you remember what happens in Numbers 13 and 14 is um, the Israelites have already come out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They've been to Sinai and received the law. And then God takes them uh, to Kadesh. And God is ready to take them into the promised land, the land of Canaan. The land that God had promised to Abram all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. 
and the Israelites decide to send in 12 spies into the land of Canaan. That happens in Numbers chapter 13. And of course those spies go in, uh, they spend 40 days in the land of Canaan spying it out and they come back and if you remember 10 of the 12 spies uh, give a bad report and and, uh, by bad report uh, of course I mean an unbelieving report. Uh, they, They tell the Israelites that the people of Canaan are too big and too strong and too powerful. Uh, And only two of the spies, uh, who are Joshua and Caleb, give a good report or a believing report and exhort the Israelites to go in and take the land of Canaan. And uh, in in Numbers chapter 13, uh, God then sees this grumbling, he sees this complaining, he sees this unbelief, and he has had enough. And his patience wears out with that generation of Israelites. And so they are doomed and condemned to fall and die in the wilderness. And so uh, the Israelites spend the next 38 or 39 years uh, wandering, as it were, through the wilderness uh, as they wait for that generation of Israelites to die in the wilderness. And only Joshua and Caleb from that generation of warriors will live on to see the promised land. And so here we have a new generation of Israelites uh, who are on the east side of the Jordan and who are now going to be initiated into the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you want to just turn over one page in Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, the first couple of chapters of Deuteronomy is a, uh, a recounting of the history of Israel after they were brought out of Egypt uh, in the Exodus. And in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 34, at this part of the story, uh, Then the Lord, Yahweh, heard the sound of your words, and he was angry and took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land, which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. And that is a quotation from Numbers chapter 14. So that's why the book of Deuteronomy is here in the scriptures. It is a recounting of the law of God given to a new generation of Israelites who will be tasked now with going in and conquering the land of Canaan. Now, in essence, the book of Deuteronomy is an extended version of the book of the covenant. So for those of you who were part of our Exodus study, you will know, and if you will all turn with me if you'd like to, um, the book of the covenant is Exodus 20 through 23. Exodus 20 through 23. And so Deuteronomy is an extended version of the book of the covenant. And so if you just go back to Exodus 20 through 23 and you turn a couple of pages, you see that in Exodus 20, of course, we have the Ten Commandments, which we will see again in the book of Deuteronomy. And then there are three additional chapters of additional laws and ordinances which Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, gives to Israel. And we will see that is essentially what the bulk 
of the book of Deuteronomy is. We will have, uh, near the beginning of Deuteronomy, a recapitulation of the Ten Commandments, and then there will be various and sundry laws. And And as you work your way through Deuteronomy, you can see it's basically variations on the Ten Commandments themselves. Now, one thing that's very significant back in Exodus is Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus chapter 24, the Israelites at that time, that is the generation that was saved out of Egyptian slavery in the Exodus, they affirm their covenant with God. So, for example, if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 24, verse 1, Then he, God, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people, this is significant, and all the people, verse 3, answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And they said that a couple of different times. And so that covenant, the Mosaic covenant, it is often called, or perhaps the Old Covenant. The book of that covenant is Exodus 20 through 23, and that covenant was ratified by the Israelites in Exodus chapter 24. Now, in Deuteronomy, we have, as I said, a recapitulation of the book of the covenant to this new generation of Israel. But in Deuteronomy, there is no equivalent of Exodus 24. And the reason that is, is because the Israelites, this generation of Israelites, does not have to affirm the covenant because Israel is already in covenant with Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. So let me show you exactly what I mean. If you will turn uh, back to Deuteronomy, a couple of pages forward in Deuteronomy, I would like to uh, show you Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5. Then Moses, beginning in verse 1, Deuteronomy 5 verse 1, Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. So, the working assumption in the book of Deuteronomy is that this new generation of Israelites is already in covenant with Yahweh. And this covenant does not need to be re-ratified. The covenant stipulations, or the book of the covenant, needs to be spoken again from Moses to the Israelites, but they are already in covenant relationship with Yahweh. And that's very important to understand as we move our way through Deuteronomy. Alright, let's talk a little bit about the importance of Deuteronomy in uh, not just the Old Testament, but in redemptive history. So I want to turn to a few places here in Deuteronomy. So the first thing I want you to see in terms of the importance of Deuteronomy is that the king... And by the way, at this point in their history, um, Israel does not have a king. 
So this points certainly forward to when Israel will have a king. But the king must make a copy of this law. So please turn with me to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. The king must make a copy of this law. So Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, which, by the way, they do in the days of Samuel. Verse 15. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, You shall never again return that way. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Verse 18, Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests, and it, this law, shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left, in order that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel." And so we see here that Deuteronomy is important on a go-forward basis in the nation of Israel, so important that God stipulates that every new king was to make a copy of this law in Deuteronomy for himself, and he was to read it every day of his life. The second aspect of the importance of Deuteronomy is that this law was to be plastered at the Jordan River. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 27, if you will. Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you shall cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones, and coat them with lime, and write on them all the words of this law when you cross over, in order that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law, very distinctly. Right? So not only does the king now have to make his own personal copy of the law and so read it every day of his life, but also there's now to be a monument set up with this law on it, speaking most likely of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. So again, the importance of this uh, Deuteronomy in redemptive history and in the life of Israel.
Third aspect of the importance of Deuteronomy, if you would turn with me to Deuteronomy 31, so just over a couple of more pages, Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, beginning in verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men and the women and children, and the alien who is in your town, in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. And their children, who have not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So, now we have each king has to make his own copy and to read it every day of his life. And then we have the plastered version of the Decalogue that is uh, across the Jordan River as the Israelites go in to conquer the land of Canaan. And now we have every seven years at the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites are to read Deuteronomy. And this, of course, is for the purpose of training up their children every seven years to hear the word of the Lord to learn the word of the Lord and to fear, you see that in verse 12, to to hear and to learn and to fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. And so we see this, of course, and we'll see it in, in just a few moments, how each individual household was to have this law ever before them. But we also see the king and the entire nation are to have this law in front of them at all times and then reading every seven years. The fourth aspect of the importance of Deuteronomy moves us into the New Testament. And of course, just a couple of weeks ago, I preached on this text from Matthew chapter 4. If so, if you'd like to go into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, we will retread a little bit of ground here as we look at the temptations of our Lord Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, in the first temptation, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And of course, this is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The second temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So the devil comes to him with a quotation from Psalm 91, of course, twisting the scriptures. Jesus said to him, verse 7, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God 
to the test, which is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Verse 8, the third temptation of Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only which is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And of course, with this, the temptations of Jesus were ended, at least here at this time, in Matthew chapter 4. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And so what does this tell us? It tells us that not only does the king have to write for himself his own version of Deuteronomy and read it every day, but it's to be set up and plastered on the west side of the Jordan River so that the Israelites will know that as they entered into Canaan, this law was to be ever in front of them. And it was to be read publicly every seven years at the Feast of Booths so that the the young people in the nation of Israel would hear and learn to fear their God. And of course, it now comes into the life of Jesus. And so Jesus obviously saw the book of Deuteronomy as significant, so significant, in fact, that he used the book of Deuteronomy to fend off the temptations of the devil himself. A couple of additional comments with regard to the importance of Deuteronomy. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy is quoted more than 40 times in the New Testament, uh, which should tell us something of its importance. And, And the book of Deuteronomy for us, and we saw this back in Leviticus 25, but it Here in Deuteronomy, specifically, if you would turn with me to Deuteronomy 27 and 28, chapters 27 and 28, Deuteronomy clarifies for us the nature of a covenant of works. A covenant of works. A covenant of works can be summed up by do this and live. Do this and live. And live. And so when we turn to Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, what we see very clearly is curses for disobedience and blessings in in chapter 28 for obedience. Okay? So the conquest of Canaan was assured by God to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. God While Abram slept, God covenanted, if you remember Genesis 15, there was the splitting of the animals and God passes through as a flaming torch those animals. He cuts a covenant with Abram while Abram is asleep and promises Abram's descendants the land of Canaan. So God is going to do that upon pain of death. However, the covenant that God makes with Israel at Mount Sinai has stipulations for the Israelites. God's going to give them the land because he promised Abram to give them the land. However, in order for them to keep the land, they must obey the commands of God. And that is spelled out in no uncertain terms in Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. In order for Israel to remain in the land, they must remain obedient 
to the commands and the law of God. That's what the curses and the blessings are for. And that is clearly instructive of what we call a covenant of works. Do this, be obedient, and live. That's the nature of a covenant of works. And so those blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 are extremely important. All right. Here are some other interesting considerations as we begin uh, to uh, think about and meditate and study the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is a word of exhortation. So, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb, that's Sinai, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Verse 3, And it came about in the fortieth year, that is after the Exodus, on the first day of the eleventh month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them. Right, And so we see Deuteronomy, it is a word of exhortation. It's a sermon in essence, which is very similar to what we have in the New Testament in what we call the book of Hebrews, Right? But the book of Hebrews itself, in Hebrews 13, verse 22, calls itself a word of exhortation. And so, in essence, what Deuteronomy is, is it is a sermon, or a series of sermons, that is transcribed. And this is, this is really important, right? Because it's not only didactic, that is, Deuteronomy is not only for the purpose of teaching, but what we will see again and again in the book of Deuteronomy are warnings promises, and repeated exhortations for the Israelites to learn and heed and obey the commands of the Lord, just like you would hear in a good sermon. A good sermon is not only teaching, it's not only didactic, but there are warnings, there are promises, there are exhortations, there's application for the people who are hearing. Right? And so that is what we will see. The nature of Deuteronomy is, in fact, sermonic, or it's a word of exhortation. And so we should keep that in mind. We should also note, as we go through Deuteronomy, there's an emphasis on words. So do me a favor, turn a couple of pages to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, this is uh, one of the high points of the Old Testament. This is the central point of Jewish worship. It's called the Shema. And Shema is basically means here, which is the first word of verse 4. So this is the uh, Hebrew Shema. And here's how it reads. But as I read verses 4 through 9, I want you to see the emphasis on the words. Right? And, and I'll come back to why that's important in a second. But here we are. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." The emphasis here, verse 6, is on literally the words. Okay, And as uh, Protestants who believe in sola scriptura, that is the scripture alone, is the source, the infallible, inspired source of faith and practice for us as Christians, right? our emphasis is always on the words, what is written. Right? That's why at Abiding Grace Church, when the pastors get into the pulpit, what we do is we point you to the words that are in front of us, whether they're the Old Testament or the New Testament. And that's because God has always emphasized the words. Right? He has spoken, and He has spoken in words and sentences and paragraphs. And so, as we go through Deuteronomy, we will see a repeated emphasis on the very words of God. And so, we as Bible-believing Christians should also be emphasizing and focused on God's words that are in front of us. If you do a uh, some reading of the commentaries... Uh, or the notes in your study Bible, perhaps, in front of you. Uh, please turn with me to Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Sometimes the commentators or the study notes in your study Bible will um, play with the idea that perhaps Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30 are a new or additional covenant uh, with the Israelites. Um, and I only mention this because I don't want you to be confused by it in case you're looking in commentaries or in your study notes. Um, there is not a new or different covenant in uh, Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30. Um, you can see, for example, these are the words, uh, chapter 29, verse 1, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which we, he made with them at Horeb. Right, And so you see there sometimes people take the words of chapter 29 verse 1 and, and ask the question, is this a new covenant? It is not. It is a renewing of the covenant which was made at Sinai. Just wanted to point that out in case you see that in the commentaries. We of course see uh, in the book of Deuteronomy the death of Moses and the transition of the leadership uh, to Joshua. We read about that in Deuteronomy 31. So in uh, the beginning of Deuteronomy 31, there's Moses' final words, his final counsel uh, to the Israel and to Joshua. Joshua is commissioned uh, in Deuteronomy 31, verses 23 and following. We see uh, in Deuteronomy 32, we see the second song of Moses. And so you probably know that the first song of Moses uh, is found in Exodus chapter 15, uh, which is on the back side of the Exodus. Uh, so Moses rejoices in song. And he also gives us another song here in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And it's very interesting because this is not necessarily a song 
uh, of rejoicing, but it's a song of judgment. So, for example, if you look at uh, chapter 31, verse 14 and following, Deuteronomy 31, verse 14 and following, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land, into the midst of which they are going, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they shall be consumed, and many evils and troubles shall come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. Verse 19, Now therefore, write this song for yourselves, and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips, in order that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. Then it shall come about, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song, that is Deuteronomy 32, this song will testify before them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. For I know their intent, which they are developing today, before I have brought them into the land, which I swore. So Moses wrote this song the same day, and taught it to the sons of Israel. And so we see here uh, a bit of a sad commentary, of course, and a prophecy uh, from Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, to Moses. And God, of course, uh, not only prophesies, but knows that Israel will not be faithful to the covenant at Sinai. That Israel will break the commands of the Lord. They will play the harlot with the gods of Canaan among whom are Molech and Chemosh and Baal and Asherah. Right? And so God tells Moses, this is what they are going to do. And so Deuteronomy 32, Moses write this song as a witness between me, God, and Israel, as a witness to them so that they know exactly why they are being spewed out of the land. And so that is the song of witness in Deuteronomy 32. But I do want to point out, if you will turn to the end of Deuteronomy 32, so it's a very long song, as songs go. But I do want to leave you with a bit of hope, because that is what is left at the end of the song. So when you look at the end of of Deuteronomy 32, not quite the end, but let's say verse 42, the end of the witness of judgment. I will make my arrows, God is speaking, I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Verse 43, the song ends with one verse of gospel hope. Rejoice, O nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance on his adversaries, and will atone for his land and his people.
And so the bulk of the song in Deuteronomy 32 is in fact a witness to judgment. But there's one line at the end, a one line of gospel hope. All right, as we round out the discussion for tonight, um, I, I want to remind you that what we will see in Deuteronomy is that election is all of grace. Election is all of grace. Make no mistake, the Israelites were chosen by God to be His special people. And of course, they are chosen as the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So please turn with me to Deuteronomy 9. I want you to see in Deuteronomy 9 that election is all of grace. It is always all of grace. And so I'll begin reading at verse 1, but the, the most important verses on this particular line are 4 through 6. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than you, great cities fortified to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and he will subdue them before you so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly just as the Lord has spoken to you. Verse 4. Do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, quote, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, end quote. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. In order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Verse 6, Know then it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stubborn people. And then very quickly over to verse 10. Or I'm sorry, chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. This same theme, that election is all of grace. Deuteronomy 10, beginning in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. Circumcise then your heart, and stiffen your neck no more. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality, nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eye have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, seventy persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. And so we will see again and again through Deuteronomy the reminder that election, 
The calling of God on His elect people is always, always of grace. It is not for our righteousness that we have been called, but God's sovereign grace is the motivation for His calling us into His family. And so, um, as we are reminded of that this evening, I pray that we would be humbled uh, by that reminder and that we would be excited to dig into the book of Deuteronomy.